Have you ever thought as you're reading through the Gospels, why does Jesus have to be so complicated? There's, there's always a little bit of mystery with what he's communicating. Why not be more direct and just say who you are? Now, of course, the problem with that is that anybody can say anything. There's plenty of people throughout history that have claimed to be God, to be deity of some form, and any crazy person can say that. So you might say, okay, well then uh, prove it through some powerful act, you know, that only God can do. And of course, we've seen a lot of that already as we've gone through Mark and this passage in Mark 6, he feeds 5,000 people, he walks on water, and those are amazing things for sure. But if to the modern reader, we, we just have to read it and we can be amazed, but we didn't get to actually see it. We don't get to see those things. And now I'm not saying that there aren't great evidences that point to Towards the authenticity of Scripture. I believe the Bible that you're reading is super, super reliable, and you can believe what's written there for a lot of important reasons that I won't go into here. But what if he were to say something incredible about who he is through powerful, powerful actions. And that's what we get in Mark chapter six, verses 30 through the end of the chapter, just absolutely blown away kinds of stuff. And it reminds me of the start of Hebrews. He says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So all the Old Testament, God's communicating to us through all those prophets that God gave us. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now check out these big statements, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And I just want to call out what he says in verse two, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And what's important to me is I want to see that that message is the same message that he's been communicating from the beginning of the Bible all the way through the end. Now, one of the powerful ways that God communicates is through the use of metaphor. Metaphor are things that help us to understand abstract ideas with real world things that we know and experience. For example, people will say that life is a journey. That's a metaphor. And what it tells us is that like a journey, there's a start, there's an end, there's hard places, there's easy parts, there's wide roads, there's narrow roads. All those kinds of ideas give us this metaphor of life being a journey. So we can understand life better if you understand a journey. And another massive uh, um, metaphor that God uses throughout Scripture, and there's several of them, is this idea of chaotic waters, waters that are scary and dangerous. We understand what that can be like. Oceans are powerful and, and mysterious. It's an alien world with powerful creatures and all kinds of things that are out of our control. And he uses that as a metaphor from the beginning of scripture all the way through the end. I just want to highlight some of these. Genesis chapter one, verse two, right at the very first page of the Bible. He says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And this is right before the creation account where all of this chaos that he says is a metaphor, uses his metaphor of the deep ocean of mystery and confusion and danger. 
And out of that, he creates all the order of creation. And then you go all the way to the last page of the Bible, Revelation 21, verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, one of the things that I've come to realize is that that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be oceans in this new heaven and new earth that God's promising in the future. He's talking about a particular metaphor of the sea, this thing that's run through all of Scripture. And I don't have time to, to go through it, but there are so many. I mean, just do a study of chaotic waters in the sea uh, from the Old Testament all the way through to the, to the New, and you will see this, these themes of chaos and, and danger, sometimes evil, sometimes evil forces going along with that. And look, at we see that in um, uh, Psalm 89. He says, you rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Which, hey, that should remind us of what Jesus did when he calmed the storm a couple of weeks ago. And then it goes on, you crush Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. And now he's talking about Rahab as a, one of the, the, the uh, gods of Egypt. And so this is basically God saying, uh, the real God is better than those fake gods that were, that were in Egypt. And he's all referring us back to what happened at the Red Sea when God rescued the Jewish people from the, from the onslaught of the Egyptian army. In Exodus 15, there's the Song of Moses, where Moses poetically remembers and recalls all that God had done for them at the Red Sea. It says, Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. So here now he's, he's calling on all that imagery that we're familiar with, but he's also making it literal, like, like this actually happened. Uh, verse 8, at the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. So God's so powerful that he can hold back the oceans. He could also walk on top of the oceans. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the hearts of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You see all of this in, in Exodus chapter 14, if you want to read the narrative of that. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty water. So as powerful and, and as scary as oceans and big seas can be, God is more powerful than that. And look what it says back in the narrative in chapter 14. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. Those are incredible details where we see God in a higher place looking down when in the morning watch. That should remind you of some details that we saw in Mark 6. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on a mountain to pray. This is right after Jesus sent them out on the boat to cross over. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. 
for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, this is early, early morning, he came to them walking on the sea. This was not the first time that God himself from a high place looked down and saw his people in trouble and, and rescues them from the waters. The waters, of, in this case, the waters of Pharaoh and his, his enemies. And they're up to the, their backs are to the waters of the sea. God dominates both of them. He's in complete control of both of them. And throughout this, this passage, we're meant, he is pointing us back to these huge events that happened in the Old Testament. Look at what he says in Mark 6, 51 and 52. And he got into the boat with them. So this is after he came walking up with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. All those things are pointing us back. You know, the, the hardening of the Jewish people as they're wandering in the wilderness. Uh, the God providing for them with the manna, the bread from heaven. All of these things is God doing a repeat of what he had done in the past. He is saying loudly who he is as God, as the creator of all things. Look at some of those ideas in, in the earlier part of in 34 through 37. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Brothers and sisters, there is only one source and that is Jesus and when it grew late his disciples came to him and said they got this practical problem this is a desolate place and the hour is now late it was also a desolate place in the desert with the Jewish people in Exodus send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat so the disciples come with a plan but he answered them you give them something to eat which is, to me, such a remarkable thing. He's saying, why don't you do it? You see the problem, you fix it. And they said to them, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to, the, uh, give it to, them to eat? This is like almost a year's worth of salary for one person. This is 5,000 plus people that are hungry. Significant amount. And here's the idea that I think comes from all of this. And the thing that the disciples had hardened their hearts against, they're resisting this idea that to believe that Jesus is the source of all life. And only through him can you be satisfied. At the end of the, the, the feeding of the 5,000, it says that every single person was satisfied. There were 12 basketfuls of food left over. It wasn't just a little morsel. It was more than you needed. Only Jesus can fully satisfy us. You know, there are things that, that we uh, seek to do, that we want to do, that we need to be fulfilled in. And just like our need for rest for our body and our need for food for our body, our souls need our creator. Our souls need Jesus. He says, and let me say it again in a different way, believe that he is the source of all life only through him can you fill in the blank. You know, God says that I am holy. I want you to be holy too. Be holy. Jesus said, 
Why don't you feed them? He's forcing his disciples to realize that there is only one place where we can find the rest we need, the satisfaction that we need, the sustenance that we need, and that is our Creator. Jesus is speaking loudly through these powerful actions that bring consistency from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. He is proving that He is who God says He is in Hebrew. That through him, he all things were created. That it was by him that all things are held together. He is the author of all life. He is the author of our salvation. He is the perfecter of our salvation. And we seek all these things from so many other things. And we need to come to the place where we realize that we can't feed other people. We can't even feed ourselves. It is only through Jesus Christ that these things are possible.